praise you, Father. God bless this time in Christ's name. Amen. Wow, it is so good to, to again, to, to stand here today and, and, and to worship um, with each of you. I'm going to ask you, if you would, take your Bibles. We're going to, as we, we, we started our study of Romans again, and we're going to be looking at verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I actually touched on these two verses um, in my last message, but, but since this is really the theme of the entire gospel, I mean, uh, or the entire letter to the Romans, I think we need to go back and visit that. And I pray that God would just stir your heart, and I just pray that it would embed within your mind, that it would continue to roll and roll and roll over in your mind as it has in mine. Um, I want to say, hey, it's so good to see, hey, Brother Dale and, and, and Summer Johnson come in with all their children, and, um, and, um, and boy, you make sure you greet them. It's so good that... Um, that they've come and they've been able to spend, spend Thanksgiving with, with, with their family and Dale and Summer and all the children. We love you so much. We thank God for, for you so much. And um, you may need to introduce yourself to the children. They've kind of they've grown up. And, um, and um, what, a, what a blessing, uh, what a blessing that it, that it is. And, um, you know, I asked Easton if he, they brought this cold weather with them. He says, well, I guess we did. So, um, so we thank you for our cool weather, Easton and, 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 and Johnson family. And um, a couple of weeks ago on Sunday morning, <clears throat> Brother Tommy and Brother George and myself had an opportunity as we were in um, just the middle of nowhere in, in, in Haiti, in a place called Contalipe, Haiti, um, a place that is so desolate that... Um, for them to catch the bus to go into town, which that's another two hours, which it's not a bus, it's a, um, it's a cargo truck they jump on. They have to walk four hours just to get to a place to catch the, the, um, the truck to get into town. But, you know, you, you drive down riverbeds, you go through what we would call fire lines, and then it opens up and there's, there's villages there. And, and, um, and we had an opportunity to go. They were hoping that we can um, maybe provide a building for them there because the, there's a there's a, a pastor which I'll, I will share with you later um, from that area that that desires to go back and and put evangelical churches throughout that area because he realizes that's the only thing that they they pl- pray to put a. A medical center there again because if a if a lady is with child and having problems they have to put her on a, a, a kind of on a door and two men to carry her four hours before she even can can get on the truck to go in and he says that's why we lose so many of our our, our ladies through through childbirth problems here and so um, just kind of give you an idea and he had asked me to come down, and, and, and we was going to talk about building, and, but he was going to be doing a little bit of a, a revival down there because they were planning on planting a church on the day, Sunday, we were there. And, and on Saturday night, he kind of gave me an opportunity to preach in a, in a, a very open-air situation. And um, to be frank with you, <laughs> kind of uh, God moved in a very special way. And... Um, to the point then he said, I want you to preach tomorrow, which we, and we didn't get home till 11 o'clock, and they was wanting us to leave at 8 o'clock to go back and, uh, to the church service. They have very long church services there. And um, because he got so excited thinking, you know, well, I've asked you all to come and build a church for what's happened. The gospel's being preached and people are being saved. And so I thought, Lord, what am I going to preach tomorrow? What do you, you know, I kind of went down there and knew when I was going to preach once, and but then when he asked me to turn around the very next morning and preach again, just, Lord, what am I going to preach? And boy, your mind goes all over there, and I didn't sleep much that night thinking, um, you know, Lord, what can I share with these people? And as, I, as we went there, driving, you know, just a very rough road, and I told George, I've got three or four sermons that are circulating in my mind, and, and, um, but he brought me back to this passage. And maybe it's because I've been, been studying on it recently. or um, But the, it, it has something to say. It doesn't matter whether you're in a very desolate place in Haiti. It doesn't matter whether you're in Baker County, Florida. It doesn't matter where you're in Los Angeles, California. Folks, the gospel is the same for all people. 
and, and it meets what every need that you have. And, and I, I pray that, that you can take the gist of what the Apostle Paul was, is speaking about. And, and, um, and you know, I'm just, just excited about, you know, what God did in Haiti two weeks ago because it really left, I left there just while scratching my head, you know, um, how can you not be amazed at God? You know, why do we get surprised when God does things, you know? And, um, but, but still we are. But it still shows the, the great God whom we serve. But I pray that God would, would take this and use this in a very special way. So the Apostle Paul, at the very end, end of his introduction that we had, had, had preached about, says these words, which throws him into the rest of the epistle. And I ask you to stand with me as we read together John, I mean, I'm sorry, Romans, the first chapter. And this is how he's closing out his introduction. And he said these words. He said he said these words. And mercy, turned to the wrong place myself. Romans, the first chapter, verse sixteen and seventeen. He says, "For I'm not ashamed of the gospel." And I just I just pray that as he says that, it was just that those few words. In the in the original text, it starts like this: "Not ashamed." which shows that that's the focus of what he's saying. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then he explains why. He says, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jews first and also for the Greek. For in it, speaking about the gospel, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's pray. God, you bless these words, and I just pray that you would embed them upon our hearts, our mind, our souls, and God, that you would do the work that, that, that you want to be done today. Your word does not come back void. And I just pray today that God, that again, you would just penetrate and, 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 and change lives today. God, as I stand here and I preach, that God, that two things I believe that your Bible teaches us, first of all, you place eternity in the heart of every man. And God, in the heart of everyone here today, you've placed eternity. And God, whether we want to believe it or whether we don't, that God, that, that, that you've placed that within our heart and our mind thinks on eternal things. And God, we all have to, 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 to address that fact within our lives. And so God, I pray that you'll... Speak to that eternal part of our hearts today. But God, I also know that your word teaches us that your gospel has, is, has power. It's the power to save. It has the power to deliver. And God, today, that we might grab hold of that by faith. And God, that allow you to do the work that you want to do in our lives. So bless this time, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. As we read this gospel or this letter, the Apostle Paul writes to the Church of Rome, again, it, it really behooves us to go back and remember who Paul was. Before he was known by Paul, he was, he was, a, he was a Jewish guy by the name of, of Saul, and he wasn't just any normal Jewish guy. As a matter of fact, he was a, he was a, a, a man that was a very bright student. He, he, he grew up in, in a place called... Um, Tarsus, and, um, but apparently he had very passionate parents. For some reason, and the Bible never shows that, but Paul was a Roman citizen. Of whether his dad had the, the money to purchase for his family Roman citizenship, we don't know that. But it gave him great, great liberty that, to really, once he got saved, to take the gospel throughout the world because he was really a free man to go where he wanted to go. But, he, but, but he, the, the, they sent him, though, to Jerusalem to study under the greatest teachers of his day. And, and he was not a guy like me that just plugged through to get through. We was talking to Nathaniel yesterday about his college and career. And one of us was saying, Nathaniel, why did you go to Virginia Tech? He says, well, that's where all my buddies went. 
Virginia, Nathaniel, why did you get a marketing degree at, at, at Virginia Tech? Well, that's what all my buddies were doing. So it was obviously that, that Nathaniel went to Virginia Tech and got his college because, because of a so He says, I'm just going for the social. But God bless you, though, Nathaniel, and has, has, has more directed all of that in a very special way. Paul did not go from the social aspects. He went from the great conviction that I want to study to know the Word. And, and he became um, just one of the great students of his day. And he was impassionate for the Word. And, and he bought in to, to the, the deep teachings of, of Judaism. And, um, and he, began, he became a Pharisee. He began to be a leader of the Jews. And, and when this man by the name of Jesus had the audacity to come and say that I was the Son of God and begin to promote that and begin to... To, to people begin to follow him, it angered, the, it angered Saul so much that he wanted to destroy anybody who claimed to follow Christ. The word does not tell us, but Paul or Saul very well likely was one of them that was shaking their fists saying, crucify him there before Pilate. He, he very well could have been and, and probably was there at the crucifixion. The Bible does not say that, but, but it does tell us that when the first Christian we known was martyred by Stephen, who was a young man that was a deacon that had just began to preach the gospel, when he, was, when he was condemned to die, they laid their cloaks at Saul's feet, which kind of meant that he was a ringleader of that execution. And then we find him again going from city to city, imprisoning or executing anyone that would call himself a Christian. He hated the things of Christ because he thought they were against his precious Judaism. And so a man that was such passioned against Christ, a strange thing happened on the way to persecute Christians. He met Jesus. And when he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, everything changed. Everything changed. No longer would he be called Saul. Now he was Paul, and maybe that's because he was, he was getting rid of the, the, the Jewish name and taking on more of a Greek name because he would be called the, the evangelist to the, to, the, to the Greeks or to the Gentiles. But the same passion that he had in his hatred toward Christ, he has now that, that, that passion for his love of the gospel of Jesus Christ who so radically changed his life. And that's why the Apostle Paul, I think, was so burning to, to tell the world and tell this church of Rome where he, he, he had never visited there, but he, I think he really understood that as the gospel was, was going west and, and Rome was such a city of influence and political influence, religious influence, cultural influence, that, that, that he wanted to get the message of the gospel there from his point of view. I say that to say this. It doesn't matter who you are, what's going on in your life, or how much you think that, boy, God can't change my life. The Apostle Paul is an example against that very thought. He can change your life. He can set you free. He can deliver you from anything of your past. And, and, and he can change your mind and your life. And that's why the Apostle Paul would say, and, and really the, the theme of the gospel, the theme of this letter, is he is saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. But I want us to stop and think about this idea of shame for just a moment. Because he says, I'm not ashamed the 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 word not is, is the very first of this sentence. Not ashamed, he said, of the gospel. And, and the idea of shame, I, I just looked up a, just a, a good basic English idea so that we can carry that through. But shame is, and this is from Merriam-Webster, is a feeling of guilt or regret or sadness that you have because you've done something wrong. It's, it's an idea of, of the ability to feel guilt or regret or embarrassment. It's got the idea of dishonor or disgrace. And, and Paul's saying, I, I'm not embarrassed, I'm not ashamed, I don't regret, I've not done anything wrong. 
I'm not any of these things for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to understand that, that Paul was, was probably saying this because he recognized that for many Christian people, there was this, this idea sometimes of shame. And I want to get to that in just a moment. But to understand to you the very powerful of this social emotion, how powerful shame is as a social emotion, to see what's happened in our country over the last 30 or 40 years. And what's happened over the last 30 or 40 years is that those who, who push the, the liberal agenda, they recognize that they can't argue their, their points because, because they're, 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 they do not make logical sense. They, they, they lost their place in the, to be able to argue. And so they, they, they changed the way they were doing things. Very clever, as you may say. First of all, they, they changed their very name. No longer did people who pushed a liberal agenda call themselves liberals anymore. They're progressives. Liberals had taken on kind of a, a, the wrong context, and for years and years and years, they were known as liberal, just you know, very generous as your idea. But now they, they changed, their, they, they, they moved themselves, they were the same people, but they moved themselves from the idea of being called a liberal. Now we're progressive. We're helping people progress along. But then they begin to use this tactic. They, they use the tactic of shame. For anyone that did not believe and hold to their particular practices, they begin to shame people. If you believed, as, as we do as believers, that you believed in one God and one Jesus Christ, one, one way of salvation then you were shamed because you were not diverse enough. You did not love all people because, therefore, if, if, if we only believe that Jesus saves, and then I don't love the Hindu, or I don't love the Buddhist, or I don't love anyone that does not believe like I do. So I was shamed to believe that, that, that I, I was not a very loving person. If I did not believe... In same-sex marriage, because the Bible teaches me that, then I was called a homophobe. Even though I, I may love, I, I, I may love, uh, you know, I, I, I love the homosexual as much as I love the adulteress, as much as I love the rebellious child. But no, if, if I did not believe that, then I begin to be labeled with a name. And, and then I begin to be called a hater. Well, you hate, you hate those people, which was a lie. If I did not stand up and, and, and I, I thought there was a great problem with, with radical Islamists. And I, I would say my voice, and then I was, I was called an Islamic phobe, that I'm a hater of all people who, of, of Islam. If I believed in creation, that I believed that, that even creation cries out that, that there's a great designer that, that, this world is too designed perfectly to happen by accident, and I believed in a creator, then I was called ignorant and uninformed. If I did not buy into the agenda of, of global warming, then I was, I was one that, 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 that called hated the earth, and all I'm going to do is destroy the earth. To be frank with you, especially for those of you, and, and I have to be very careful with this, but, but it's almost been for if you had been a white male for the last 40 years that you were ashamed because you were so privileged that you were against everyone else. And then recently, if, if, if I believed in country and carried the flag, I was ashamed because we're all a one world together. And what it did is it silenced the conservative um, person. Because the liberals, who call themselves the progressive, had tried to push us into a hole that everything that we were believed, that we were to be ashamed of what we believe. And it was very, very effective. Our conservative college students were mocked for standing up on what they believe, and, and many of them paid the price. 
in the liberal classroom. Because they were shamed that they were so ignorant to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And folks, all you have to do is study the history. That this whole thought of shame is such a, an effective social, emotional tool that's been used in, in our country and, and all over the world. But they didn't come up with the idea. This idea has been going on even since the creation of man. And the Apostle Paul knew that Satan himself used this against those who are believers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And folks, it's effective today. Because I'll ask you a question today. If you're here today and you're truly a believer of Jesus Christ, and I'll not ask for a show of hands because you might be ashamed to. But how many of you are believers in Jesus Christ at some point in your life when you had an opportunity to stand up that you were a believer, that you had an opportunity to share the gospel with someone, or you had the opportunity, you might have been the only one within, within a whole other group that, um, that were, were doing their thing. How many of you have been shamed to be silent of not doing for what you knew that you ought to do? I'll tell you, folks, I'll raise my hand. And I have been, in my life, allowed to be shamed for my beliefs more often than I want to admit. When I was standing in a crowd of my friends, and things were being said or things were being done, where I stood, should have stood up, stood up for doing the right thing and for my Savior, where I sit there and said nothing. Or when I knew that I should, be, I should be witnessing to someone and I kept my mouth shut because of thinking that they might, that they might, they might look at me and, and call me um, a Jesus freak or something. And so I think if you would just readily admit for most of us that shame has been a very important tool of Satan to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ from being spread within our friends, within our families, and throughout this world in fear of what other people may think about us. It's been a very effective tool. But folks, it wasn't for the Apostle Paul. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul was so, was so amazed about what God has done for him that he could say these words, I am not ashamed, and it proved out within his life. The Apostle Paul, this, this guy that was so, so wound up about destroying the very presence of, 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 of believers in Jesus Christ was now just as effective as standing up for the very person of Jesus Christ, and it didn't matter if he walked into a synagogue that was full of Jewish people, full of Jesus haters. He didn't mind him a bit to, to walk in, and even though that he was going to open a, an ant bed, a, a wolf's nest, to walk into there and begin to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or what about when he, he went to Athens, this, this, the, the epicenter of, of learning within the world? And he found himself in the Areopagus, which is called Mars Hill. That's the place where all the great thinkers of the, of the Greek world were. And there he was with all these great thinkers that, that also within a, a city that on, on every corner had a, an image of a, of a god. That the apostle Paul began to preach about the unknown god, the creator god. He was not ashamed whether you was Jew or Greek. It did not matter to him where you come from. Paul says these words, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And I, 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 prom- I, I, want, I want that which Paul has. I want that which is just so has radically changed my life that, that God has allowed me to be able to push away that shame and that, that tool of Satan, that accuser of the brethren that, that comes and tries to, to put me in a corner and cause shame and embarrassment in my life and use that as a fire to the flame. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And so the Apostle Paul was passionate in his unashamedness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if I would say nothing else in this message today, I would pray that, that folks, that that would gnaw on our heart and that would gnaw on our heart and that would gnaw on our heart that every morning we'd wake up with the thought, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And when we went to bed at night saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Or when we're put in a very precarious situation that may be at work where 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 we're here and all of this, this chatter that's, 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 that's not based on truth going on, that we would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and we would feel the freedom and the power to speak truth. Folks, there's enough of people right within this building that if we caught that which Paul has as not being ashamed of the gospel, we could turn our community, our country, and our world upside down from right here because there was 12 apostles that literally turned the world upside down because of their unashamedness of the preaching of the gospel. I wonder how many times in Paul's life he looked back at that young man by the name of Stephen that were so hated to the point that they were calling for his execution and Stephen never, he continued to preach even as the rocks were being thrown at him. And then as as his body was frailing, he looked up and the Bible says he had the face of an angel. And how many times do you think Stephen's face just, where Stephen was the one who was not ashamed, even though it meant his, his death, that Stephen was not ashamed, and, and Stephen's testimony just rung in Paul's heart that Stephen was not ashamed of the gospel. I'll not be ashamed of the gospel either. But then the apostle Paul explains why. He says, this is why I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And he says these words, he says, because it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believed. He knew that there's power, there's divine power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I I think about that, I think about an old buddy of mine that when I was in Memphis, Tennessee, his name was Ronnie, Ronnie Tullis. And Ronnie was just a big old, you know, he looked like he'd been a pup water all of his life. Big old thick guy that um, was there for his, there at, at, at Mid-America for associate degree. He'd never been to college, and so he's getting his two-year degree. And, and I got to know Ronnie well, and I used to go with him just almost fr- every Friday night for a while to go right into the middle of the housing sections, which is the slums of Memphis, Tennessee. And, and, and if you've ever been to Memphis, Tennessee, that's, that's a rough place. And, um, and Ronnie would just go preach the gospel. And I remember one time in particular, I was with Ronnie. It was on a Friday afternoon about 5 o'clock, and we were the only two um, white men within, you know, blocks and blocks and blocks. And there was a bunch of men that were, were, were sitting in a, in a circle. They were playing poker, and they all had their wine bottles out. I won't tell you exactly what Ronnie, because he spoke, you know, he spoke the, the language. And I'm thinking, he's going to get us killed. He is going to get us killed right here. But you know, every one of those guys listened to him. And, and even though we, we did not be was able to share the full gospel there, he, he, he spoke to him about Jesus Christ, and we walked away, and I said, Ronnie, how can you do that? He said, John, he says, before I got saved, I was a cocaine addict. And I would beat my wife at least once a week. And he says, I'm ashamed of that. And, and they're still married today. But he says, a man came knocking at my door one time and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And it so changed my life that I became the husband I was supposed to be, and I became the daddy that, that I was supposed to be, and it so changed my life. He says, he says I may very well die on these streets one day, but I'm going to die preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he understands what Jesus Christ and, 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 and what Ronnie, Ronnie realized, the greatest thing these people need is Jesus Christ. And that's the same thing I heard from Pastor Rennell that Tommy and George with me was, was with. And, and he, he, he went back to his people. He lives in Jacksonville now. And, and that's a great story to hear. But I've never seen someone quite so passionate, this little old, this little old Haitian man that was so passionate because he realizes the one thing those people need, this place that he came out of years ago, and he's passionate to start five churches there, he says, he, because he knows what these people need more than anything else is Jesus Christ. Because it is the power of God and the salvation. And folks, if we can recognize that as, as we have the answers of because when we have Jesus, we know what the world needs. Because it's the power of God and the salvation. And we have to understand that when the Bible speaks of salvation, it does not speak sometimes in the, in, the, in the clean little way that we have in so many of our North American churches, that so many times we speak of salvation of a one-time event in a person's life. Because we, you, you know, are you saved, pres, uh, past tense? When were you saved, past tense? But the Bible does not speak of salvation that way. The Bible speaks of salvation in past, present, and future. That it gives the idea that even now that we're in the process of being saved. And then one day that we're going to receive our full salvation when we become like Jesus Christ. But, but let's talk about that. First of all, it has the power to save us or justify us from the penalty of sin. The Bible says all of us have sinned, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. It does not matter whether I'm preaching in McClinney, Florida. It does not mean, matter whether I'm preaching in New York City or Los Angeles. It does not matter whether I'm preaching in Philippe, Haiti. I know this fact that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Wherever people are, there are sinners. It does not matter if you were born into a Christian family. It does not matter what culture you grew up in. It does not matter the color of your skin. It does not matter about how what your bank uh, portfolio looks like. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we will stand before a righteous judge one day. Because God is just, and, and for God to be just, then sin must be dealt with. And so the Bible teaches us the wages of our sin is death, eternal separation from God. And folks, that's every one of our state. Every one of us that are born into this world, we are born into a, into a, a body of sin, and we must, be, we must be saved from that penalty of sin within our life. That's a terrible thing. I think so many times that we, we forget just... What the true penalty of sin, folks, people who die without their sin forgiven, that they're going to pay a penalty of death, and that's eternal separation from the holy God who created them into a place called hell. <coughs> Condemnation. And, 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 and that is true for everyone. It does not matter what our name is or our nationality. And, and, and folks, that's just the truth. You know, we talk about, well, he's a good person. Well, let me tell you, hell is full of good people. Or he's a religious person. Hell is full of religious people. It's not whether you're, you're good in the eyes of man or it doesn't matter how religious you are or how much you gave to the, you know, the local Lions Club. That does not matter. The Bible says we've all sinned. The problem we have is sin. But the Bible says the gospel teaches us that through Christ and Christ alone, through his death, his burial, and resurrection, that Jesus Christ alone has the, the power to save us from the penalty of sin. Isn't that good news? And don't think that your sin was paid for by, you know, by, by just, a, but by just a, a sweep of God's pen. No, the penalty of sin 
had, that price had to be paid. It was Jesus Christ who came, was born of a virgin, who lived a righteous life, who died not for his sin, but for my sin and your sin. I think the Apostle Paul, I think it's very interesting to him, the older the Apostle Paul realized, the more realized how much of a sinner that he was. You know, in the latter part of his writings, the Apostle Paul said he was the chief of sinners. And I think that's because he began to understand the grace and the work of Jesus Christ so much. So if you're here today and you've never come to that point where you have been set free from the the penalty of your sin, today needs to be of your salvation because because God's not promised you another five seconds. Even as I preached in Haiti one night that, that, folks, the Bible says it's not that you will be condemned, that the Bible says you're already condemned. And it's just the mercy of God that's keeping you, waking you up every morning. And today, you need to come to Jesus Christ, to the, one, to the one that has the power to save you, to deliver you from the power of sin, or from the penalty of sin. But it also has the power, not only to, and, and, we call, and we call that conversion. That's what we can use in the past tense when we look back into our life and say, it's that time I was born again, it was that time I was current converted into a, to a child of God. But then there's that idea of, of where am I now? Because that is only the beginning of our salvation. That's like being, again, being born again, that when, when little June was born and we were so happy and, and for her, we just didn't take her and leave her by herself. And so many times we do that for our baby Christians. You know, we, we, we run to the point, get them converted, and then we leave them outside. But we have a baby, I'm telling you, some, you know, some... These new mamas, I love you. But some of you, it takes you six months to get that new baby here because you think they might get my germ or something, you know. I don't know. <laughs> but you do that because you love your child. You love your child, and, and you're wanting to do everything you can to help that child grow. Shouldn't it be that same way with an, a, 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 a person that's, that's been born again, that's a new baby in Christ? Shouldn't we do everything we help, could to help that person grow? Because... Because that person, just because they've been freed from the penalty of sin, it does not mean they've been freed at, at that time in a practical way from the power of their sin. And, and boy, there's, there's certain things, within our, there's some things kind of shed off of us very quickly. But there's some things, and it's different for each one of us, that some of us had some of those pet sins that, gosh, it just seems hard. I had a young man come to me one time and said, Pastor, you know, I thought I got saved a few weeks ago. But he says, you know, there's a problem. He says, now everything I do is sinning. I said, no, what's happened to you? You've truly been born again. And now finally your eyes are open to all that sin that's in your life. And, and Paul uses the idea of a kind of changing clothes. We need to change out of these dirty clothes and put on clean clothes or righteous clothes. But folks, you can't do that by yourself. It's through the sanctification process, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that God begins you to give you the strength to, to, to walk away from that addiction. Gives you the strength to walk away from that filthy tongue or that, that gossiping tongue or, or, or gives you the strength to, to walk, you know, walk away from those wandering eyes. Gives you the strength to push away from the table when you've had enough already. Or gives you the strength to say, no, I don't need to go see that movie. I don't need to put that stuff, that filthy stuff into my mind. And that's the power of God in the salvation that he helps us through the sanctification process to free us from the very, the very power of sin in, in our lives. And the Apostle Paul speaks about that time and time again within Scripture. He says these words in Romans 6, 17 and 18, But God be thanked that though you were servants of sin, you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which has delivered you, being made free from sin, that you became the servants of righteousness. Isn't that good? And I don't have it in, in, in your notes, but, but, I, but I also want to, to mention to you that the power of God of salvation has uh, the salvation has the it's going, it has the ability to one day free us from the very presence of sin. That's when 
God calls us home, and these old bodies of sin are left away, and the Bible says we shall be like Jesus Christ. And when you study in, in, in Revelation, he, he draws us to the place there's no more sin, no more tears. See, I can't even imagine that. That's called glorification when we receive our full glorified state. That he returns to us which we lost in the fall. And that's what Paul says. Let me tell you guys, the gospel is power of God into salvation. First of all, when I met Jesus Christ in my life, although I was a great, great sinner, that he saved me from the penalty of my sin. It's no longer I have to work. Jesus Christ did it for me. And he says, and not only that, the, the, some of the struggles I had, he began to free me from those struggles I had in my life. That, that no longer is the sin have a bondage of me, and I can't wait to that day I shall be like Jesus. And so no matter who you are out there, no matter what you struggle with, there's hope for you. And the hope is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The government can't change your life. We just had elections. I believe Eddie preached on this while I was away, that, that folks, regardless of how the elections was, our hope's in Jesus Christ. There's no government that's going to change people. It's Jesus Christ. And because and, and, it's only Jesus Christ has the power of God into salvation. But, but, but look then also, look, look so much, look also at that unlimited scope of the gospel. He says, it's the power of God into salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. First of all, the gospel is unlimited in its offer. Jesus says, uh, or, or, or John spoke um, in John 3, 16, for, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And Paul says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. And so the gospel is unlimited in its scope. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Greek. It doesn't matter whether you're black or white. It does not matter whether you grew up Hindu or Baptist. It does not matter whether, you know, what side of the track you, you grew up. The gospel is unlimited in its scope. It's for all people. And that's the joy because, again, you may think, well, how can God love a person like me? He does. It doesn't matter what your background is. The gospel is unlimited in its scope. But, folks, you have to understand this. It's not universalism. A lot of people think, well, Jesus came and he died, and because Jesus came and died, then every person, that's going to be, every, every person in the world is going to be saved. The Bible doesn't teach that. Although he provides an opportunity for all people to be saved, the, the gospel is very limited in its application because over and over again, it's for whoso it believes. It's for only for those who place their trust in Jesus Christ. And so there's a decision that must be made. Paul says, I'm, I'm not ashamed. It's the power of God and the salvation. He's changed my life. And, and he's saying, you know, no matter who you are, he'll do the very same for you if you believe. I think, it's, you know, this is so vivid in the story of Nicodemus, this man who came to Jesus Christ by night that was a, a leader of the Jews. The Bible says he was the teacher of all the Jewish teachers. He was the main teacher. Nicodemus would, would have been a very good, a very righteous man in the eyes of people. But you know what? Jesus looked at Nicodemus, and he was not impressed at all about that. He said, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he should not see the kingdom of God. He said, Nicodemus, it does not matter how impressive your resume is. If you've not been born again, you should not see my kingdom. And that's when we, 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 we learn, how, does it, how do we become born again? By placing our trust in Jesus Christ. A decision that we must make. And so we can't ride into to this idea of salvation on the... The, the coattails of mom or dad or because I'm a church member, that, that doesn't impress God. You have to be willing to turn your back and, and no longer trust in yourself and the things of the world, but you have to you place your trust in the work of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. But that, Paul says, it can change your life. And then finally, he, he, he deals with the key principle, the key principle in verse 17, when he says, For in it, in the, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. 
See, the, the, the key principle of understanding is the only way we can stand before God, not in our own righteousness. The Bible teaches us our righteousness is like filthy rags. The only way that we can stand before a holy God is we be holy ourselves. And the only way we can receive that holiness of God is through his son, Jesus Christ. Now listen to me, Jesus Christ, and this is important for you to understand, Jesus Christ was born of a virgin because he was not born of the seed of man, he was born of the seed of God, and so therefore when he was born, he, was, he did not carry his dad's um, sinful nature, he, he, he carried God's sinful nature. But it doesn't stop there, folks. Not only was Jesus born righteous, but he lived a righteous life. He never sinned. And again, he fulfilled the requirements of the law for you and me. Jesus Christ did for you and me what we could not do for ourselves. First of all, we were born with a sinful nature from sinful dads, and, and, and not only that, we, no matter how hard we would try, no matter how good we think we would do, we would never fulfill the righteousness of God because we're all sinners. Who has not lied to their parents? Who has not spoken a, an angry word to somewhere? Who has not had jealousy within their heart? These are some very base level sins that a child would tell you I'm guilty of. And so none of us can stand before God in our own righteousness. That's why Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law. He was born righteous and he lived a righteous life. He fulfilled what you and me could not do. And then he died not for his sins, but he accepted our sin upon himself. And, and, and when he did that, he exchanged. That's called the great exchange. He took our sins and he exchanged his righteousness for those who believe. Now, folks, if that shouldn't get you jumped up and excited, that Jesus Christ did what we cannot do by lived a righteous life. He fulfilled the law. And then he allowed himself to be hung naked upon the cross, dying for my sins, and then exchanging his righteousness for those who believe from faith to faith. You know what? It's by faith I believe in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's by faith I live for him every day. The just shall live by faith. And if you're trying to, to live any way other than by faith in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will never stand before a righteous God because you're placing your trust in yourself rather than God. But Paul says that is a story to tell. That, that Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'll, I'll take this message to the beggar on the street. I'll take it to King Herod. I'll, and and, and I'll take it to Caesar. Because I'm not ashamed. Because it's the power of God to save the beggar, to save King Herod, or to save Caesar, if you would believe. And friends, that same power exists today. I'm going to ask you individually. Has there ever been come to that point in your life? Don't, you know, if, if you say, well, pastor, I'm a church, and, or, or I'm, I'm a part of this church, or pastor, you know, I got baptized at vacation Bible school. I want to tell you like Jesus Christ told Nicodemus, I'm not. We're not concerned about that stuff. The question is, have you ever been born again? Have you ever been born again? Have you ever placed your trust in the risen Savior? Has there ever been a radical change that occurred within your life? If not, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you today to come to Jesus. I'm asking you today to call upon the one who was born of a virgin. He lived a righteous life. He died for you. There's hope for you today because of Jesus Christ. You may be a drunk, you may be, or a person that has been so filled up that you're trying to show the world how great I am because of the, the business achievements. That doesn't matter. God can save you. But I'm also here today to, to give hope to those of you who are praying for a wayward child. That a child that is running so hard a child that is so bound up, and you, you, rec there's, there's, you don't even have words to say because even if you try to say words, that child would just lash back at you. The Bible says, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God and salvation to everyone who believes. That, folks, I'm a firm believer that God can open the heart 
of that child. One of me was talking about Sunday night, Wednesday night after we left home, that she was in a class that talked about grace. And the guy says, you know what? John Newton had it right. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. No matter how wretched you are, God's grace is sufficient for you. And he even says it was through grace that I received the fear. God's grace can even put fear in your child's heart. And through that fear, he believes. Folks, that's the God we serve. That's why Paul says, I am not ashamed because I know what the gospel of Jesus Christ can do. And he says, I'm excited to tell that story. So I challenge you today, I encourage you today, this is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. Maybe today you've even caught yourself that, gosh, Lord, I'm so sorry, I've been ashamed. You may want today to say, God, give me, give me that faith to, to not be ashamed. And folks, let's turn the world up, side down for Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray in just a moment. And I want to answer the Holy Spirit spoken to your life to respond to whatever he's done. You may need to call out from the Lord. You can call out right where you are right now. Say, God, I need you. God, I've made a mess of my life, but I believe through the power of your gospel, I believe that Jesus died for me, he was buried, he rose again, and you call upon him. I do encourage you to make that public, and you may want to come and say, Pastor, I I prayed this prayer, what do I need to do? Or you may be here today, and, and you just want to come and kneel down and say, God, thank you, thank you, thank you for saving a wretch like me. God, I'm going to to pray by faith for my child, for my wayward loved one. Would you come today? And I ask as I pray, our team comes up. We're going to go right in at this time to invite you to whatever God spoke to your heart. Father, I love you. And God, I just thank you for the power of the gospel. I want to thank you, Lord, that that God, that you've given us something that, that none of us should be ashamed of. God, let us be faithful to you. Be faithful in this moment in Christ's name. Amen. Has the Holy Spirit spoken to you today?